Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 9? And now we've come to the next passage, verses 13 through 34. We should remember that a great miracle has just happened in the first 12 verses. Christ healed a blind man who had never seen. He was blind from birth. And so the narrative here continues. I call this part the hardening of the heart. There is a hardening that finally leads to reprobation. Reprobation is the opposite of election. It is a process that can be as difficult to understand as even the process of election. We study it, we read it, we praise God in it, and we seek to understand it. This is a narrative about unbelief, the forms of unbelief, how unbelief manifests itself in our lives as Christians. God will cause our paths to cross the paths of others who are not believers. And we are thus inspired and moved, compelled, as we should be as Christians, to, in the best way that the opportunity presents itself, share the gospel. The sad truth is, and this is a biblical truth, as well as a truth that I have observed from personal experience and observation. The vast majority of people will not respond to the gospel with faith, with belief. The vast majority of people respond with unbelief. This is a story. This is a narrative about that. To this point, and Christ is coming in on the final months of his ministry, he's headed to the cross. Early in his ministry, Unbelief came against him and it became more aggressive, especially in the personage of the Pharisees, scribes and Pharisees. They did exactly the opposite of rationality. Rather than starting with an unbiased observation, and let the facts lead you to a conclusion that brings you to the truth. Instead of doing that, they started with a conclusion. 
and sought the way to confirm the conclusion they had already made, a biased conclusion. Their conclusion was this. Their conclusion was the conclusion of unbelief. They, they would not accept Christ or anything that he taught. Didn't, no matter what, didn't matter what happened, miracles, whatever, didn't matter. Their conclusion was drawn first and then they would seek ways to convince themselves, of course, that their conclusion was the right conclusion. So this aggressive form of unbelief has been on the attack against Jesus and his ministry, his teaching since early in his ministry. But now it's, it's at the end of his ministry. And, you know, John said, we have to keep this in mind, at the end of his gospel, in what, chapter 20, he said, these things have been given to you that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. The believing you might have life in his name, that you might become a believer. So these miracles are carefully chosen by the Holy Spirit, given to us through the pen of John, eight of them. They all speak of the deity of Christ and how Christ is our only Savior. There's nothing else, no other way to be saved except through belief, through faith in Christ. That continues here, and we understand then that the miracle of, the, of healing the blind man had as its design something to firm up the faith of believers or to bring, bring people to belief. This is a truth. Paul writes about this in, a, in another uh, part of the New Testament. But here is the truth of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It never leaves people the same way. It is a gospel of belief or it is a gospel of unbelief. It is a gospel that warms the heart, breaks the heart, breaks the sinner, and thus brings confession, repentance, faith as, 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 gift of, as the gifts of God into the lives of those whom God would call to himself, and conviction, salvation, eternal life, redemption, reconciliation, all of those words that you want to use. The gospel will do that. And when a person is moved, drawn, comes to Christ, he doesn't realize all of that is happening to him at that particular time. He just ha he draws a simple conclusion like this blind man does here in this narrative, this passage. But all the others... Though this man comes to Christ, all the others are hardened against Christ. That's what the gospel does. It's been the nature of the gospel since the beginning of the gospel. It serves to soften hearts or harden hearts. I cannot know from my perspective other than to listen to the responses of those who continue in unbelief. So these forms of unbelief are given here in this passage. It's something that we need to know. 
If we go about the Lord's work and we share the gospel and we want to teach Christ to the nations, we need to understand and know how unbelief can come in various forms, even how it can progress in the hardening of the heart that finally reveals reprobation in a person's life. And all of these are, are God things. You know, these are, not, these are not human things. I have learned in my life not to cast my pearls before swine. I learned it a long time ago. I learned a long time ago as a pastor that some people can never be pleased. I asked a guy once, I said, man, he was, he was so hard. He, he told me if he had only been, how was it he put it? He said, and I don't know what stirred him up, but he was in my office and he said, I'll tell you one thing. If I was 20 years younger, I'd... And I tell him, I said, well, now there's a flaw in your reasoning because I also would be 20 years younger. <laughs> that works both ways, right? And I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you something. What if I took a chainsaw and just sawed off my arm? Would that please you? Watch blood just spray and spurt and say, no, I ain't going to hit me. This guy was a deacon and he knew all the cuss words, I can tell you that. <laughs> and I had a, I tried reasoning early in my ministry, I tried reasoning with people who, for those who heard the story, people like the Againer, you remember that guy? There been a few of those along the way. And you can be sweet and kind and all this kind of stuff, and they're still going to hate you. Doesn't matter. And I had a wise pastor tell me one time, he said, Charles, why do you cast your pearls before swine? I thought, well, the Lord himself said that. And so it goes, unless at the moment I sense a softening of the heart in sharing the word of God with someone. If I don't sense that, I'm going to say, you know, if God's going to save you, it's going to take the next guy. I'm done with you. If, if you don't believe the word of God. All of the hosts of heaven combined cannot help you. Only God can save you. So it's good for us to recognize these forms of unbelief. Because salvation top to bottom is of God and not of man. It is not by the power of my persuasion. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The Old Testament prophet said that. Forms of unbelief in the hardening of the heart. Well, let's, let's look at them together here. The first one is enmity. Enmity is a fixed 
hostility. I don't like you. I don't like what you say. And I never will. I, you know, I'm going to tell you a personal story that deepened me into my personal training regimen way back. This, I was in college. And there was a, there was a, going through, on my way to college, I had to go through East Gadsden, headed to Jacksonville. I commuted every day and I had to stop at a curb market. I don't know if anybody knows what a curb market is. Do they still have those? This is a thing where this guy would lift the walls every day at sunrise and he had all these fresh fruits and vegetable stuff. But he also had groceries in there you could buy and he had, back then, they had machines that had ice cold water and your, your Coca-Cola and Dr. Pepper and all that was in a glass bottle and those glass bottles were in that ice cold water. Oh, son, it was... It was the coldest. And I was a Dr. Pepper man back then. But you can see I switched to Diet Coke and it's made all the, all the difference in the world. <laughs> the magic of Diet Coke. Well, I reached in that ice cold thing, got me out of Dr. Pepper. Got the water off of it, popped that lid off on that cap opener at the end of that box got me some kind of a snack and went up there to pay for it I'm oblivious to everything and does anybody know what a hawk bill knife is okay it's a folding knife it has has a nasty looking blade on it so I'm going up and all of a sudden pow a hawk bill knife was placed to my neck in a section back here where the guy at the counter couldn't see it. Wasn't anybody else there? Kind of early in the morning. And I thought to myself, well, the first thing to do is to control my bladder. (laughs) And then next, maybe I can kind of peek and see who this is. Is somebody making a joke or something? Well, he wasn't making no joke. This guy, there was an older guy and a guy about my age. It was the younger guy that had the knife to my neck. He said to me, you got to understand, I didn't recognize the guy. As far as any, I've never seen before. He said to me, I hate you. I've always hated you. I didn't like you in school and don't like you now. What do you say? Well, I wasn't going to apologize for it because I didn't know what I'd done. And the older guy stepped in. He was a shorter, smaller guy. And he called this guy by name. He said, just put your knife up. He said, we don't want to do this in here now. And he looked at me and he said, look, just forget all this. Forgive us. The older, the younger guy folded up his knife, put it in his pocket. He said, man, he said, we're just not feeling too good. He said, we just got out of jail this morning. And we hadn't had anything to drink in a long time. And he said, we're just edgy. 
And I didn't know how far to take this, you know. And I, I looked at the guy and I said, how do you, what's the deal here, man? He said, you don't recognize me, man. We went through school together. We went through high school together and all blah, 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 blah. And I don't like you. I said, what do I ever do? He said, I just don't like you. I don't like the way you dress. I don't like the car you drive. I don't like where you live. I don't like anything about you. Well, deeply relieved, I got my Dr. Pepper and my, they don't make these anymore either. It was a banana flip. I know what I was eating for my breakfast. It was a banana flip. Anybody ever heard of a banana flip? It's a sin against humanity that they've quit making those things. I got in the car. I I went and looked at, I I even went and looked at the yearbook. I couldn't find the guy's picture anywhere. Still didn't know his name. But through the years I've recognized that for whatever reason, there is going to be enmity between some people and others. Things that you can't help. He didn't like me because of the way I dressed. <laughs> what am I going to do? He didn't like me because of the car I drove. He didn't like me because of where I lived. He just didn't like me. That's enmity, right? Enmity. There are those people who have the same attitude toward Jesus, toward God and his Christ. Enmity. They hate him. They hate his message. They hate who he is, what he represents. It's just enmity that exists. Here we are with these guys. They bring him who once was blind to the Pharisees. Now, who is the they? Go back up to the first 12 verses. The neighbors and those who are in the temple leaving the temple who saw his healing, what Jesus did. You remember? He spat and made with his spittle, he made clay from the dirt and he rubbed the clay on the guy's eyes and he said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. He did, he could see. So there were those who saw it and for whatever reason, it, you see, it happened on the Sabbath. And there are, there are, there were, the people were very sensitive about the laws of the Sabbath, obviously. So they took this guy and brought him to the Pharisees, apparently to get their opinion of what Christ had done for this guy. It was now the Sabbath day in which Jesus had made clay and opened his eyes. There are two ways there that Christ violated the Sabbath. The first way was there was actually a rabbinical law that forbade applying spittle to anything for medicinal purposes. Let me tell you something. If I'm hurting and the only thing you have for me is to spit on me, leave me alone. (laughs) Look in my trunk, I've got a first aid kit. 
The other thing is he practiced medicine. So he used his spittle for work to make something and he practiced medicine by healing the guy. And it, both of those were forbidden by rabbinical law on the Sabbath. So here, here they come. They, listen, these people knew that the Pharisees didn't like Jesus. You remember just a few verses earlier, they were wanting to stone him to death and Christ hid from them and left. It was a very brave and courageous thing for Christ to stand out in the middle of this crowd and take the time to deal with this blind guy. They knew the Pharisees would get stirred up about this. And so they brought the formerly blind man to the Pharisees. Therefore, again, the Pharisees were asking him how he received his sight. Give us the story. He put clay on my eyes. I washed and now I can see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God. He didn't keep the Sabbath. However, others were saying, how is a sinful man able to do such signs? And there was a division among them. Now here, Christ will say later in John's gospel, we'll get there. He said, I didn't, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to separate the saved from the lost. Those who understand that only God can save us. And those reprobates who think they can save themselves. I've brought a sword. Now, I haven't come in peace. So anyway, he gave him the story. There was a division among them. Wherever people go with the gospel of Christ, into areas where there are unbelievers, and some of those unbelievers become believers by the power of God, there will always be a division. A division between believers and unbelievers. Unbelievers never mean good for believers. I hear so many conflicting things about what is going on in Ukraine. One of the stories is that those who are invading don't care if, if they're killing Christians who are praying for them or not. I don't know what the real story is. But I know enough about the work of Christ to know that this goes on today and has gone on since time immemorial that unbelievers persecute believers. It'll happen. It'll happen in work, it'll happen in school, it'll happen in politics, in geopolitics, it happens. And the ones who get stirred up are not the, un are not the believers, it's the unbelievers. They're the ones who persecute believers. Occasionally, the news item will come across the mainstream media. Maybe it's in Africa or maybe it's in South America. Maybe it's in an island somewhere or over in Eastern Europe. 
But it's usually in the Middle East. And a group of Middle Eastern believers will be kneeling with their hands bound. And they're about to get their heads chopped off. Because they're believers. And the ones who are going to chop their heads off are unbelievers. Unbelievers persecute believers. There is a division. If we are wise, we will learn the forms of unbelief and we will learn personally how to deal with that. Enmity. The first one is enmity. Hatred. Hostility. Division. The division comes and the division brings the enmity. Believers are seeking the salvation of the unbelievers. But with hardened hearts, unbelievers are seeking the very lives of believers. These Pharisees were seeking the life of Christ. That Christ had done and had taught what he did. He caused enmity in the hearts of most of the Pharisees. Now it's interesting, some of them are saying, well, if he's not from God, how can he do these things? These other guys are not going to be moved. They have, they have no room in their hearts for the gospel. It should be always be easy for a believer to recognize the enmity in an unbeliever. I have even gone as far in recent years just to ask people, does it ever bother you that the very promise of life has been withheld from you? Does that not bother you at all? What you face when you go to the grave, does that not bother you at all? Does it not bother you at all that so many who heard the same message have come to Christ and yet you resist? Does that not bother you at all? And I'll tell you, I get laughed at and they'll tell me, no, that don't bother me. Take your Jesus and go somewhere else. I've heard that a lot of times through the years. The second characteristic of this hardening of the heart, this unbelief, is unyielding, irresistible in their stance. Look at this. Therefore they said to the blind man again. I mean, you know, how many times do you have to say something to somebody? I had a guy argue with me, and he's the one who brought it up about a particular thing in the scriptures. And it had to do with the responsibilities of those who are ordained leaders. And there was a particular thing in the scripture that spoke of a responsibility of ordained leaders. And 
that was the only place in the Bible that it spoke of that particular thing. And the guy was a Christian, I guess. He, but he didn't like what the Bible said about a particular ordained office. And he said to me, when I made, when I made the case, well, you're arguing against this, but this is what the Bible, he said, but that's the only place in the Bible it says it. <laughs> and I asked him this, I said, how many times does God have to say something? Once is enough for me. Now, with that said, these guys are asking him again, what do you say concerning him for he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. Now listen, here is a blind man. Let me tell you this. The blind man, you remember when all this started back up in the first 12 verses, the, the disciples asked Christ, who was, who's sinned, him or his parents? Blindness was associated with sin. Therefore, a blind man could not be a part of the synagogue. Now, Maybe he sat outside the synagogue and listened to the teaching because he knows a lot about the Old Testament. We'll see in a minute. But he was never in there to sit under the teaching and he could never read it for himself. Yet, he knew enough about God and the power of God to know that this man who had touched his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam and made him to see, he knew enough about that guy to know that he was born with faulty eyes that had to be recreated. They could not be healed in the traditional and standard form. No surgery would have helped him. Only recreation in his day could help him. He knew that. And the highest office he could think of was this man's a prophet. He's from God. The Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and had received sight until they called his parents, the parents of the one who had received his sight. I'm just not going to believe this. I don't believe you ever were blind. I think this whole thing is a setup. All of these people, his neighbors, the people who knew him, who saw him for years sitting at the temple, they're the ones who brought him to the temple. They're the ones who gave testimony that this guy was blind. But they also knew his parents. They said, well, we'll just get his parents, bring his parents in here. Now, we're going to see here in a minute that the Pharisees had passed, the, the, there was a law in the synagogue that if you confessed the name of Jesus, you would be cast out of the synagogue. You'd be, you'd be unchurched or whatever. Now that was a scary thing because that would affect, that would not only affect his religion, but it would affect his fellowship with other Jews. It would affect his, the economy of his life, his work. It would affect everything about him. Now, the parents knew that this was a rather recent ruling among the Pharisees within the synagogues. So they called the parents of the blind guy who had been made to see. And they asked the parents, saying, is this your son 
whom you say was born blind, then how does he now see? Therefore his parents answered and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. However, however, how he presently sees, how he can see now, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, and let him speak concerning himself. Unyielding. This is where I usually, you know, number one, if I sense enmity, I'm not going to cast pearls before swine. Number two, if I sense an irresistible force in the heart, I haven't been called to debate. I have been called to present the word of God, which is living and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword, and it divides asunder the soul from the spirit. The word of God is what does it, not the power of my persuasion. So if a person tries to get an arg- into an argument with me and they keep asking the same questions over and over again, you just may as well go off and leave them. Let the next guy testify. Maybe he's more qualified than I am. I don't know. But it's the power of the word of God, not the power of persuasion. So they come back again and they ask again and then they get his parents and then the parents don't want to have anything to do with it because they don't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. Their son has never been part of the synagogue anyway because he was born blind. His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews for the Jews had already agreed together that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, then that person would be expelled from the synagogue. Because of this, his parents said, ask him. He's old enough to know what he's saying. And they just slipped it. Boy, that's a fine set of parents right there, isn't it? They should be falling down at the feet of Jesus and worshiping him because he healed their son who had been bored blind. No, they're more concerned about religion than they are salvation. Third characteristic is to be unreasonable. I started out with this when I said these Pharisees started with the conclusion. And now their investigation is only to show or to strengthen their argument or the conclusion that they've made. In order to do that, they have to disregard all of, the Christ, all of Christ's teachings, all of his references to the Old Testament. They have to disregard all of his miracles and all of the testimonies of those who have come to belief in Christ or they have been healed by Christ. They have to disregard all the facts. Disregard all the facts and look for something else. Used to be an old postcard you could send people said, don't confuse me with facts. My mind is already made up. This is where these Pharisees are. They don't want to be confused. They already know. They are together on this thing. They are solid. And they will not. They are unyielding when it comes to Jesus. I've seen people who were unyielding. I can't, I can't help them. I can't help them if the word of God doesn't break their hearts. Unreasonable. Therefore, they called the man who had been blind. They called him out a second time. And said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Then he answered, 
And I like this. Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that being blind, now I see. You come to Christ, it's a simple testimony. All I can tell you is this. Yesterday life was one thing to me. The pursuits of life were one set of things to me, but not any longer. I've come to Christ once. I was lost. Now I'm saved. Once I was blind. But now I can see. Therefore, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Still no praise to the Lord. How do they start this thing? Give glory to God. Well, they're not going to give glory to God. How did he do this for you? He answered them. I already told you. And you didn't listen. Why do you wish to hear it again? Do you not also wish to become his disciples? Later on in the narrative, not today, but later on, we'll see that this blind man becomes a believer, obviously. So he says to them, it's like he's saying, you want to come and join with me in being a disciple of Jesus? They vilified him. They insulted, they humiliated him. They reviled him, insulted him. And they said, you are a disciple of that one. They won't even speak his name because his name is Jehovah saves. However, we are disciples of Moses and therein is the continuing difference between Christianity and Judaism. Between Christians and unbelieving Jews. That's the one difference. Judaism thinks that it's all in Moses. Christians know that it's all in Christ. However, we're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but we do not know where this man is from. Now, that's not really true for them to say that. Think of all that Christ had done, all that these Pharisees had witnessed, notwithstanding even the healing of this blind man. And they are still unreasonable. They cannot put the facts down on the table and be reasonable about this. But the blind man can. And the man answered and said to them, for this is an amazing thing. That you do not know where he is from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners. But of anyone who is God fearing and does his will, he hears him. A casualty of my fast typing and does his will. But of anyone God fearing and does his will, he hears him. All right, now think about this. Christ means nothing unless, unless first God gives you a conviction 
of impending judgment and damnation and then speaks with his Holy Spirit to the heart of those who would come to Christ, fearing God, hearing God, sensing God, yielding to the conviction of God, does the will of God for the believer, which is namely come to Christ. Such a person hears God. Here's the kicker. Since time began, and you can look at the Greek up the ek to onus, out of, out of the age, we live in the age from beginning to end. And in all of time, it has never been heard. It's nowhere in the Old Testament. It has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of the one having been born blind. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. Isaiah tells us one of the chief identifying marks of the Christ of God, the Messiah, is that he will heal the blind. Because that's an identifying mark of the Messiah. Prior to Messiah, it could have never been done. It's amazing how this blind man who could not be part of a synagogue and couldn't even read the scriptures had evidently heard them enough to know that at no time, any time, had anybody ever heard or written in all of history, certainly not in the New Testament, that a man who had been born blind would have his eyes opened and be made to see. Because it's a God thing to recreate his eyes the nerves that go to his brain. If this man were not from God, he could not do anything. God was careful not to let any imitator in this world ever have claimed to have healed someone who had been blind from birth because it belonged uniquely to the Christ of God, the power to do such thing, such a thing. Blind man knows that much. If he wasn't from God, what did he say earlier? He said, this is an amazing thing to me. This is an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from? I'll tell you where he's from. He's from God. Or he could have never done this. Here is the final characteristic of unbelief. It's cruel. It's mean. Once an unbeliever crosses a line and he manifests cruelty in his life toward believers, there's no, there's no stopping what he'll do. There's no way to keep him. Christians slain through the ages of the church have suffered at the cruelty of unbelievers. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins and you teach us. They cast him out. It doesn't matter because he has come to Christ. The synagogue membership, all this, they don't mean anything. He, Christ found him. 
and brought him to himself. That's the only thing that matters. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? In just a moment, we'll be dismissed in prayer. But before we are, let me make this appeal to you. Jesus Christ is the son of God and he came into this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. We learn from the teaching of Christ himself in this very gospel just a few Sundays ago that no one can come to Christ unless the father draws him. If God calls you to salvation, you'll know it. There's no mistaking it. And as you are dismissed today, we'll have deacons and their wives ready to pray with you and talk to you about that just across the hall from the exit doors as you leave. Maybe you're here. You've been struggling with church membership at Shiloh. The way things are, you can, you can serve in an official capacity at Shiloh as members. And if the Lord deals with you, we, we need you. There's so many ways that you can serve. But Christ will have to make that plain to you. And if you want to come into church, we'll take care of all of the details. If that's what God wants in your life and you speak to the deacons about it and their wives. They're prepared to pray with you and help you in that. So as we think about that and we pray about God's will in our lives, let's prayerfully stand all over this room.